0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
1: This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable. Exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. is a hockey fans this is the golden edge podcast the podcast where the las vegas review journal talks about off-season hockey because that is where the golden knights are now after losing the western conference final 4-1 to the dallas stars i am ben goats one of your review journal golden knights beat writers on the other line with me is my colleague dave shane dave how have the first few days of the offseason been treating you? Eh,
0: not too bad, but I do feel like we uh, need to buckle up the seatbelt here for the next uh, few weeks because it could be uh, a little bit of a bumpy ride for everybody. We'll see. Yeah, it's going to be a
1: bumpy ride and it's going to be a fast ride because some of these dates are coming up real quick. But before we kind of get into previewing the Golden Knights offseason, which of course is what this entire episode is going to be about, uh, let me quick tell everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is presented by Pepsi, Indeed, and Favor Shot, drinkafavor.com. Also, please check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com. Just because the season stops doesn't mean our content does, which is, of course, why we're recording an off-season podcast here today on Thursday, September 17th. Also, you could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts. Do to this podcast, it would be very much appreciated. We sincerely thank all of you that have been listening to us uh, the past two seasons now since we started this show. And we're excited about uh, what all this offseason is going to bring in terms of talking points. But if you guys could, like I said, rate, review, subscribe, that would very much help us continue to grow as we head into year three. So... I mentioned that a lot of these off-season dates are coming up. The NHL draft is going to be October 6th and 7th, so a little bit more than two weeks away as we're recording this. The Knights are going to pick either 28th or 29th in the first round, depending on how the Eastern Conference final shakes out. Uh, as of this recording, they are still playing. It is to 3-2 Tampa Bay Lightning heading into Game 6. And then uh, two days after the draft is over, free agency will begin on October 9th. And then uh, after that, we don't really know what's going to happen. The original key dates that the NHL sent out were a November 17th start to training camps and a December 1st start to next season. But it really doesn't seem like those dates are going to end up, you know, happening as they were anticipated to. I mean, even center Paul Stasny said yesterday in his kind of end of season media availability with us via Zoom that you know if he was a betting man, he would bet on the NHL not starting on December 1st. There's just so much logistically that's going to have to get worked out once uh, the remaining uh, three teams at this point leave the bubble. Uh, More health and safety protocols are going to have to get hashed out. Teams are going to have to figure out many fans they're comfortable with in their buildings. There's just a lot going on. So we'll see ultimately when the Golden Knights will play again. But before we get to that point, there is a lot on the plate of general manager, Kelly McCrimmon and president of hockey operations, George McPhee. They've got so much to go through and the number one decision that they have to make is of course what they're going to do with their goaltending situation. This is, of course, a topic that's going to dominate a lot of this show and a lot of future shows because it's the number one thing that the Golden Knights have to be concerned about this offseason. Uh, McCrimmon, on his Zoom call yesterday, didn't tip his hand too much as to what the team was going to do at goaltender, but he did say that it was going to be the team's first priority to figure out, which makes a lot of sense. The Knights actually might not be able to do very much until they kind of figure out their goalie situation. Uh, As we've talked about previously, there was a report now almost a week ago from the fourth period that Robin Leonard and the Knights basically have already agreed to a five-year, $25 million extension. Uh, Leonard denied that report. McCrimmon yesterday said, hey, we don't discuss contracts until they're done, so we have no confirmation as to whether that contract is actually going to come to fruition, but if that is going to be what the Knights and Leonard are ultimately going to agree to, because he is a pending, unrestricted free agent. So if they get to October 9th without a deal, Leonard is going to hit the open market. Um, That basically $5 million average annual value would eat up all of the Knights remaining cap space this offseason. Reminder that the salary cap is going to be flat this year because of the Corona by this pandemic and the fact that teams have lost a lot of revenue by not having fans in the building for the end of the regular season and, of course, the playoffs. Uh, so the Knights are staring at $5.2 million in space right now. Obviously, the five, a $5 billion contract being added to the books would wipe out basically all of it. And it would mean the team would not be able to re-sign restricted free agents Chandler Stevenson and Nick Cousins, even if they wanted to, without doing some sort of extra maneuvering. Um, So I want to go through kind of their options to tackle the goalie situation, if indeed they end up re-signing Leonard, who was, of course, their primary starter this entire postseason, including four out of the five games in the Western Conference Final. But before we do that, I want to look back at how we got to this point one more time, because, Dave, I thought it was really interesting that both uh, Coach Pete DeBoer and McCrimmon on their Zoom calls talked at length about the decision to have Leonard be that primary guy in the postseason and how that came to be. Uh, I'm curious what your thoughts were on what they said and just the fact that uh, they really felt the need to, I guess, come out and address it, defend that decision. I just thought that was an interesting kind of topic to spend a lot of time on kind of rehashing, Hey, this is what we were thinking when we did this and we want to make sure everyone understands that heading into the off season. Yeah, Pete DeBoer
0: almost got, the, got off the hook with that, huh? It was like the last question that he got before they ended the uh, the Zoom call with him was about the goaltenders, and he kind of made a comment about like, all right, well, you know, since you brought it up, let's talk about it. And and like you said, he went into, into depth about his decision and kind of the thought process behind it a little more than just, you know, the guy who gave us the best chance to win. That being said, a lot of what he explained and I guess maybe what I thought, you know, maybe not so much interesting, but he he just painted a picture of it clearly being performance based, that he went into, you know, training camp point or 2.0 and and kind of the restart expecting that all things being equal, Marc-Andre Fleury would, you know, get the first crack at it based on what he's done for the franchise. he Pete DeBoer flat out said that. What it came down to was he said Robin Leonard was at an elite level and Marc-Andre Fleury was at a very good level. And he said that about their play in you know, the handful of games each of them got after the trade, before the pause, during training camp, and then you know during the round Robin. And in Pete DeBoer's mind, he just felt Robin Leonard was either one, the better goaltender... Or two was just playing better based on, you know, maybe Marc-Andre Fleury's injury that he sustained during the phase two stuff and the voluntary workouts to where he missed the first three days of training camp. Clearly, he was healthy enough to start the exhibition and he played well. But I think it it certainly seemed like Pete DeBoer held that St. Louis performance. And, and maybe Marc-Andre Fleury knew he needed a big game and, and was pressing a little bit. But that seemed to be where Pete DePore's judgment came from, the how they played in training camp and how they played in the round robin. And then going forward, and I know I've gotten a lot of emails, I'm sure you have too, certainly, you know, social media. And I think we can probably both agree on this. The goaltending wasn't the issue. Like there, we're not talking about this at the end of the season and them being home because of the goaltender. So this whole notion of like, well, Pete DeBoer missed and he played the wrong guy or whatever. Like the goaltending was fine. They couldn't score. So, you know, I mean, I guess, did the coach get it wrong? Did he get it right? And all that sort of stuff. Like, well, <laughs> Robin Leonard had a 1.99 goals against average over 16 games in the postseason. Like, you know, I don't think that's why they're home right now. So, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit more and, and just kind of what it leads to and and sort of where the franchise is at right now because of the, the because of the decision, if I can spit that out. Um, but clearly, I, don't, I just I think. What we've learned from this whole thing and and taking a step back, and I think you know our colleague Ed Greeny wrote about this a little bit is you know, the goaltending, that wasn't the problem. No, it was not the
1: problem whatsoever. And even though it's, like I said, kind of the primary offseason talking point, it's not because it was a big issue during the playoffs. I think even when Marc Andre Fleury played outside of that St. Louis game, I mean, he was really good too. That was a strength of the Golden Knights, the fact that they could spot the two goalies off each other a little bit. And, you know, they were able to give Leonard a break during Game 1 of the Western Conference Final after he played a back-to-back in Game 6 and 7 of the second round. And they got a great performance from uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. And obviously, they, they lost that game. But I think, you know, that game was probably emblematic of exactly what you're talking about, Dave, where they lose a one nothing game where uh, their goalie, plays really well and just doesn't get any sort of goal support uh, whatsoever. Um, But now that it is the offseason, the goalies are going to be a major talking point. So let's kind of go through the Knights three options here uh, as to what they can do. If indeed, once again, we're kind of operating under the assumption that they're going to work out something with Robin Leonard, because it certainly, you know, seems like that would be The case. I mean, I don't think you make him the guy, you make him your number one starter in the postseason all the way to the Western Conference Final and let him walk away. That would be pretty close to uh, unheard of, I would believe. So your first option, if you're the Knights, is just keeping both guys. You keep Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard. As I just got done talking about, they were a really strong duo in the postseason. And because next year is possibly... Starting late, as we kind of previously touched on, there's been talk of, hey, maybe the schedule gets condensed a little bit and there might be a couple more back-to-backs or three games and four nights or what have you. And in that case, you probably want two really good goaltenders because you're going to want to spot them off each other maybe more often than you would want to in a typical regular season. The downside, of course, is that as we kind of previously talked about, uh, just bringing back Leonard with an extension would take away all of the Knights remaining cap space and force them to either not re-sign some guys or trade away some guys already on their roster just to make sure they have any sort of breathing room during the regular season. And, of course, that doesn't even get into uh, what would probably be the chief problem with it, which is the fact that Marc-Andre Fleur's agent, Alan Walsh, made it pretty clear in the playoffs uh, the day before the second round began against the Vancouver Canucks that he wasn't happy with his client being either the 1B or even just straight up the 2 uh, with his tweet of Fleury being stabbed in the back with a sword called DeBoer. So I think uh, Marc-Andre Fleury would not be potentially happy if he were kept on with Leonard. So option B, if you're the Golden Knights, is trading Fleury and trying to get uh, his contract. He's set to... uh, have a cap hit of $7 million for each of the next two years. Uh, off the books, you know, Knights could get something back in return and try to roll from there with Leonard as the guy. Uh, the tricky part, outside of, you know, obviously, that would mean moving away from who a guy who even McCrimmon acknowledged is basically the face of the franchise, is it's going to be really hard to find a taker for that contract in a flat cap world. Um, already, this offseason, we saw a deal between the Minnesota Wild and the Pittsburgh Penguins, where the Penguins traded Nick Bukestad, who is, you know, a decent middle six forward who's had uh, a lot of injury issues and is probably a little bit overpaid. And he got sent to the Wild for a conditional seventh round pick while the Penguins retained half his salary. So ultimately, we're talking about the Penguins got rid of a decent kind of middle six guy, got almost nothing in return except for clearing $2.5 million off their books, which I think might be emblematic. I guess we'll see. But it might be emblematic of how hard it is going to be to shift money around in the flat cap world. That basically, the Penguins just had to give up a guy for nothing just to get half of his money off the books. Um, And then I also want to point out that flurry is going to have some say in this if the knights decide to pursue a trade for him he had a tuesday deadline to submit his 10 team no trade list which he gets to do as part of the contract extension he signed with the golden knights and with these 10 team no trade lists that you know flurry and a lot of guys kind of get on their contracts once they're veterans he and his agent can be very strategic with it uh for instance if I'm looking at teams that have cap space and a need at goaltender, uh, some of the teams that just immediately popped in my mind was uh, you know, a team like the Senators, who uh, are losing Craig Anderson potentially this offseason. He's a free agent. So maybe they want Marc-Andre Fleury to come in, help their rebuild, just give the fans someone to latch on to. Well, if I'm Alan Walsh and I'm doing my due diligence of who the Knights might want to trade Fleury to... And the Senators come up on the list. Well, then I just stick them on my no trade list and make sure that if the Knights want to do that deal, they kind of have to go through uh, Flurry and Alan Walsh. Same thing if, you know, potentially you could see the Wild as a trade partner because they're in need of goaltending. Their GM, Billy Guerin, who actually won a Stanley Cup with Flurry in Pittsburgh, has been very clear about that. And maybe, you know, the Wild send back Devin Dubnik, who has been their starting goaltender for a while and has kind of fallen out of favor. Maybe they send him back to the Knights to kind of make the salaries work a little bit and also give the Knights kind of a one B two type of situation. But like I said, Fleury and Walsh could easily block that as well. It would not be hard for Walsh. who's a very smart guy and has been doing this for a very long time to come up with a 10 team list that really limits the Knights options because he can leave out basically Any team that doesn't have the cap space to absorb flurry or any team that already has this goaltending figured out. And that leads us to option number three, which is probably the least desirable option if you're the Knights, which is buying flurry out. Um, So this hasn't come up a lot with the Knights, but for those who aren't aware, there's kind of a last ditch cap relief mechanism in the CBA called a buyout. Basically, what you would do is if you buy out Fleur, you take him off the roster and you reduce his cap hit this year and next season. But then part of his salary would actually still be on the books for the two seasons after that. So instead of paying him for the next two years, as his current contract stipulates, you would pay him a lesser amount, at least on the cap for the next four years. So for those unaware of what that would look like. Instead of paying Fleury uh, $7 million against the cap this year and next year, you would actually pay him $2.5 million this year, $3 million next year. But you would also uh, have him on the books for an additional $2 million the two seasons after that. So it would give the Knights some immediate cap relief, which is good, but also put some more long-term money on their books. And in a flat cap world for the foreseeable future, that could become a problem down the line. Uh, Out of those three options that I just laid out there, Dave, which is keeping both guys, exploring a trade for Flurry, or even potentially buying Flurry out, is there any that sticks out to you as being the, I guess, most likely option that the Knights are going to take if indeed they do re-sign Robin Leonard? Oh, we can't do the retirement option? That's not, that's not one of the choices <laughs> I got. I mean, if I'm Marc-Andre Fleury, I would uh, not
0: retire to make sure I get my 14 million over the next year. years. Yeah, it's true. I know. I, I shouldn't, that's probably not responsible on my part to bring that up. Well, okay. Let's go through these like one by one. All right. So the idea of keeping him, I mean, this is maybe a little simplistic and, you know, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't look at, look at it like this, but I can't help but think this is basically the equivalent of Flurry in his camp, I guess, went in and pooped on the boss's desk and did a whole bunch of other stuff to the office. And then they just expect to show up on Monday and have it all be a-okay. Like, I don't I don't buy that for a second. And that was one of my questions to Kelly McCrimmon. And, of course, I don't expect him to say anything other than, like, our relationship is good and fine and, you know, I, it's just noise and that happens in the playoffs and blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, clearly, Fleury's camp was not happy with how the situation was handled. And it seems like it's, you know, irreconcilable differences. I don't know how you come back from that. I don't know how you basically file for divorce and then just be like, ah, you know, everything's cool. And now we're going to like work together and we're just, yeah, like it's going to be fine. I don't see that happening. So as far as them both coming back and whatever, I, I would say that that's, you know, probably even less likely, or maybe even, I don't know. I don't know where that ranks in terms of the buyout, but I think the trade is the most likely. And I think, Maybe it means retaining some salary. Maybe it means you know having to work around some things and and all that. Maybe it means having to work with alan walsh and and trying to find a good landing spot for him. I don't know, but that seems to be the only resolution i guess at this point There's got to be a team It feels like I mean we've heard you know rumblings maybe about the avalanche might be interested you know a team like that. That maybe he needs a goaltender that could make a run for a cup that feels like, you know, if flurry has got one more year, maybe in him, and then they can kind of decide from there where he goes. That seems to be like the ideal type of landing spot. I don't know how many teams there are out there. There's probably some. And it's not going to be an easy, I guess, uh, trade to work out. It's not going to be an easy situation to resolve whether it's the other team trying to you know figure out its own goaltending situation then the knights trying to you know make everything work with with flurry and his agent make everything everybody happy i don't know that everybody's going to be happy in this situation but i don't see them letting it linger i don't see them trying to make it work with him it just feels like at this point it's past the point of no return. And I think everything in the playoffs and Pete DeBoer's decisions kind of illustrated that. So, you know, to answer your question, I feel like the natural resolution for this is to find a trade partner and, and kind of go from there. And if you can't find the trade partner, then you start figuring out, okay, well, do we have to buy him out or, you know, what are our other options? This football season will be different and Pepsi
1: is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. I know I personally was watching football basically all Sunday with a bunch of my friends uh, over FaceTime now, because of course, that's how we're doing it, socially distanced. And I know I needed a caffeine pickup right as those afternoon games were hitting and I reached for a Pepsi. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people, fast. just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they're able to do in a trade. Like I kind of previously mentioned, how much salary would you have to retain? How much would that limit you if you have to retain salary? Because keep in mind, they would need a backup goalie, obviously, if they do decide to move on from Flurry. So they either need to get another goalie back in that trade for Flurry or potentially get assets that they could flip for another goalie because Other than that, you're looking at potentially having Oscar Dansk as your backup next year. And then are you actually in a better overall goaltending spot than you were heading into this year when you had Malcolm Subban as your backup? And you had to trade for Robin Leonard at the deadline because as Kelly McCrimmon was pretty adamant about at the time. And then again, yesterday, I mean, they felt like they were in an untenable goaltending situation uh, heading into you know, the playoffs just because they thought if anything happened to flurry, that they were basically doomed. They just didn't have faith that Malcolm Subban was going to be able to win playoff games for them. And I have to imagine uh, if they weren't playing Oscar Dansk over Malcolm Subban this season, that they feel the same way about him as well. So I don't think he's a guy that uh, fans should be super psyched about if he's becomes a backup goaltender, just because he's cheap next year. So there could be a lot of moving parts, a lot of dominoes that could fall there, but obviously what the Knights do there is ultimately going to affect how the rest of the off season shakes out. So let's quick hit on some other topics and move on to the skaters. Uh, as I mentioned before, the Knights have two RFAs and Chandler Stevenson and Nick Cousins of, uh, you know, because they're restricted free agents not unrestricted, they're not completely hitting the open market and it's much easier for the Knights to retain them if they have the cap space available to do so. I mean, I think it's pretty straightforward, Dave. I think the Knights are going to want both of those guys yeah, back. Yeah, I, right? I would
0: feel like that. I think they're both pretty inexpensive, so it's not like it's going to break the bank to to bring them back. I, For some reason, I wonder about Cousins, and before I, th- I thought it was automatic because I don't think you're going to give up a fourth-round pick and an asset for you know essentially a rental if you thought that that's what it was going to be clearly you couldn't in february project the pandemic so i don't think they just thought he was a rental in that regard so i would expect both of them back yes
1: all right and then moving on to their unrestricted free agents so these are guys that will just completely hit the open market on october 9th uh not counting Leonard, uh the knights have tomas nosek john merrill and Derek england Uh, None of them were, of course, in DeBoer's first-choice lineup by the end of the postseason. So in a flat-cap world, it's pretty hard to see any of those guys coming back. Uh, But Dave, you actually wrote about Derek Englund uh, today for tomorrow's paper. And obviously, he's a guy who has meant just so, so much to this franchise. He gave the just iconic speech before the team's first-ever home game. He uh, lifted... The Campbell Trophy, when the team won the Western Conference, the inaugural season. Um, And Kelly McCrimmon had some really surprising comments about him yesterday. Uh, I guess, what did you think of what McCrimmon kind of revealed to all of us, unprompted, by the way? And what do you think might be in store
0: for England's future? Yeah, I mean, not to like whatever, but I I mean, he brought it up. I was going to ask about Derek England, so... You know <laughs> good on kelly mccrimmon that that in case nobody asked that he wanted to bring it up but you know one i thought it was interesting that he pointed out there was a team at the trade deadline that was interested in acquiring Derek england who at the time had basically lost his job to zach whitecloud so Derek england had the option to go elsewhere and play uh don't know which team that was so don't know if it was a team that you know Would have qualified for the playoffs or anything like that. Not sure how, you know, how much he would have played there or anything like that. Obviously, Kelly McCrimmon said that Derek England went home, talked to his family, came back the next day and said, I want to stick it out. I think the Golden Knights have a chance to win the Stanley Cup and I want to be here. And so Derek England kind of knew the situation. He understood what his role was going to be and he took on kind of a mentor Uh, relationship in the bubble with you know the guys who were on the taxi squad the black aces the younger guys i know i had listened to a podcast uh, that peyton krebs had done with his junior team and he talked about every day going to the golf simulator with Derek england so clearly he he you know took uh, several players under his wing he he found a role within the team and and kelly mccrimmon praised him for his professionalism but i i do think you know, maybe the writing's on the wall a little bit in terms of his future. He clearly, you know, was pushed out. I think you could say maybe the eighth defenseman. I mean, John Merrill got a game in the postseason. So I think in the pecking order, you could say that John Merrill was even ahead of Derek England. I understand that it's, you know, position and right hand, left hand and and all of that. But right now for Derek England being a UFA and the Knights, you know, clearly feeling and, and Kelly McCrimmon mentioned this, that Zach Whitecloud solidified his spot. They've got guys like Nick Hague and and even Dylan Coughlin waiting in the wings. And it just kind of feels like at this point that that maybe they're going to move on or, or not even so much maybe that they are going to move on uh, from Derek England. I think the bigger question right now is, is more so where is Derek England at and where does he feel like his future is? Does he want to continue to play? Does he feel like, you know, this is, the point that he wants to go out on. And this was kind of his last run with the Golden Knights and the in the hometown team. And then from there, you know, there's always, even from day one, been the speculation with Derek England of like, well, you know, when he retires, he can just work for the team and all that. And, you know, Derek England has never really given that indication. and The team's never given that indication. It seems like a natural fit. And maybe what we learned, or maybe what he learned, you know, during his time in the bubble, during the summer is is you know, that might be something that he does enjoy in terms of like a, you know, a player development role or, or something like that, uh, working in the organization. We'll see, you know, I don't want to retire him. I know last year when he signed his contract, he was asked questions about, you know, like when you're done playing and all this and was like, wait a minute. And he just signed, like, why are we trying to retire him? So I don't want to do that, but, I mean, I think it's, it's fair to ask at this point, you know, if this is the end and, and if so, you know, does he continue on with the Knights in some some capacity? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what he kind of decides is best
1: for his future. Um, and outside of him and some of those other kind of free agents that I mentioned, uh, the Knights don't have the cap space to do a ton else right now, unless they make kind of trades to clear up Uh, more room for them to maneuver. Now, I think the big thing people are probably wondering is, you know, Dave, as we talked about already, uh, the reason they're, you know, in the offseason right now and not still playing potentially for the Stanley Cup is they really struggled to score in the postseason. They scored 12 goals in their final eight games. They had a 4.1% shooting percentage in that span. Uh, I think one of the most fascinating parts of kind of the the exit Zoom interviews we did is Pete DeBoer even acknowledged that, hey, when I took over this team, the Knights were known as this team that was really, really excellent in transition, but they struggle to score once they're actually kind of set up in the offensive zone. Uh, I believe out of their five, five on five goals during the Western Conference final against the Dallas Stars, four of them were off the rush, only one, the uh, one that Alex Tuck shot basically off Mark Stone's shoulder and I believe game three uh, came kind of once they had set up in the offensive zone that wasn't just like they came uh, screeching through the neutral zone with speed and were able to kind of find an open guy. So they're kind of uh, the anti-Wisconsin Badgers to that effect to use a basketball analogy of a team that you know very well, Dave, and I uh, dislike very much. They are a team that, uh, once again, using my basketball analogy, are really great in transition, but not so great in the half court. They just can't execute as well in kind of tight spaces, uh, despite the fact that they are a very fast team. The Knights just don't seem to create as much room once they're actually kind of set up there in the offensive zone. Um, now, both DeBoer and McCrimmon, when talking about it, kind of mentioned we don't think it's a personnel Issue. We don't think we're, you know, missing the guy or missing a piece that is going to just all of a sudden unlock everything for us. I mean, DeBoer even mentioned this is something that, you know, when I took over, like, I really made sure to work on this and I want to continue to work on this. And I think there were some signs of progress and we just have to kind of, you know, stick with it, which has been his message throughout a lot of the kind of scoring slump. Um, So I guess, do you take kind of that message at face value that this is something the team can just get better at without any, you know, significant changes to the roster? And at this point also, do they have... You know, any other choice basically than to believe that with kind of their limited room to
0: maneuver right now. Okay. First off, I'm going to take issue with Wisconsin being good in the half court because if you've watched them a lot like I have, they are painful at times in the half court. So I'm, but yeah, anyway, I'm just giving you a hard time with that. Yeah. I mean, do I take it at face value? Yes. Yeah. In the sense of, are they good enough to win a Stanley Cup? Yeah. Like, do they have holes on this team? Not really. You know, there's nothing glaring. There's there's not something you look at and you go, oh man, they just, they don't have this. I mean, do they have an offensive defenseman now? Yeah. Because Shea Theodore emerged as as a guy like we've talked about. You know, they've got scoring, you know, Patcharetti, Mark Stone. They've got depth. And, you know, when, when Mark so Riley Smith, Stasny are going. Um, they've got a fourth line that causes problems. They have goaltending. I mean, there's not a lot you can really like pick apart. But I guess maybe the question that Kelly McCrimmon has to answer, and George McPhee, and maybe where I feel like the the Knights are at a crossroads a little bit going into this offseason, why I feel it's so you know pivotal and important for them, not just the goaltenders, and kind of you know the the franchise altering you know, landscape and decision that that's going to involve in. But just do they feel like they need a shakeup? You know, they're good, but do they need something to get over the hump? Are there guys that maybe, you know, you can use as assets to acquire something different, whether it's, you know, something down the middle? I mean, I know there was talk about centers and Kelly McCrimmon had, you know, a pretty strong reply that, you know, if you want a number one center, usually it ends up You know, you you pick them number one or number two in the draft and it's, it means you have to stink, you know, to end up winning the lottery or somehow acquiring a pick that ends up there, you know, it's hard to do. Those guys don't grow on trees and they're hard to acquire either in a trade or through free agency without having to give up all kinds of capital to do so. So it's not like it's a quick fix, you know, in that regard, but, you know, maybe there are guys out there, maybe they can take a swing at you know some of the some of the uh, players who might be available and try to upgrade, um, not necessarily a major overhaul, but you know it feels like. I mean, just to bring up a name, I mean, obviously everybody's kind of linked in with Alex uh, Alex Petrangelo on defense, and I I don't know how much they need him at this point, to be quite honest. And Kelly McCrimmon made the point of once they acquired Alec Martinez that it felt like that solidified their defense and that they don't really, you know, need all of a sudden a right shot defense and and all, you know, a guy who can score points and all those sorts of things. It feels from their point of view that they feel like it's solidified. I don't know how big game hunting you go in that regard because like you said, salary cap wise, it would take a lot of maneuvering. It would it would take some other guys going out to bring some guys in. But at the same time, and Riley Smith touched on this a little bit too, that they've been very forthright and, and open about they're going to put the best players on the ice that they can. And they're going to do everything that they can to try to win a cup. So if that means that, you know, maybe a guy who was part of this from day one and, and is a core player, you know, maybe they, they trade one of those guys this offseason and we haven't seen that. You know, not just the goalie, but, you know, maybe one of those top six forwards or, you know, maybe a defenseman that, you know, nobody really expects. Uh, They've shown in the past they're not afraid to to swing big and to go for it. So I don't think there's any reason to believe that they wouldn't try. And, you know, if they can maneuver around the salary cap and make it work. I mean, they've been one of the most aggressive franchises in the league the last few years, I I would expect that to continue going forward, especially to be that close to a Stanley Cup and and know, you know, if you had just gotten a little bit more, you could have got there. I think they're going to be motivated to to try to improve this team.
1: Yeah, and kind of the only way they can improve it really skater-wise is to try to take a big swing, as you were kind of mentioning. I mean, we talked about the fourth line, you know, really strong fourth line compared to what a lot of other teams are putting out there in the NHL. The third line, um, a lot of this year and a lot of this postseason, not a lot of this year, definitely just more of the postseason. We were talking about what a mismatch that was uh, against, you know, teams like the Blackhawks and the Canucks having Alex Tuck in your bottom six just presented so many problems for opposing teams. So it's not like your, your depth guys are an issue or you've got one aspect of this team where it it's just, you know, like a glaring, glaring weakness. Uh, their ultimate problem in the postseason, and we've touched on it in plenty of our postgame podcasts, and again, here today on this one, is that their top guys didn't score. I mean, Jonathan Marceau didn't score once in his last 11 playoff games. Riley Smith scored once. Uh, Max Patry didn't score in his last eight playoff games. And I believe it was William Carlson had four points in his last 12 playoff games. Now, if you believe in those guys, uh, maybe you just think you can run it back and against potentially a different opponent, a different matchup. Things would be different because the Stars, of course, were and are an excellent defensive team. And maybe you just hope for better health, too, because uh, from, you know, Max Pacioretty's answer to a question I asked him, which was just straight up, were you 100% this postseason? Really didn't sound like he was. And obviously, Mark Stone took uh, a puck off the foot in game four of the Western Conference final. And uh, he said he managed it and felt as close to 100% as he could. It just didn't seem like he quite looked right in game five. So you could definitely buy the argument of, hey, if we run it back, maybe we'll just get better bounces, get better luck and just get guys healthier this time. But I think you could also then buy the direction that, you know, you're kind of talking about as well of like, okay, but is there something out there that could get us over the hump? And if it is, we need to explore that because they've mentioned it a bunch of times uh, heading into the postseason, during the postseason, and now that they're out of the postseason, uh, we view it as Stanley Cup or nothing. I mean, Shea Theodore straight up used the words yesterday, uh, failure, that it felt like a failure because their goal was to win the Stanley Cup And they didn't. So I wouldn't be surprised, you know, on either side, if they, you know, did nothing or if they did something significant because Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee, as you said, have shown that they're willing to be aggressive with their roster because they know that that's kind of the mandate from ownership is go get that cup.
0: Yeah. And I just think it's how big do you want to swing? You know, how, how much is, you know, I guess, addition by subtraction and subtraction by addition, Um, I mean, you know, I, I thrown out, you know, the name Patrick Liney, and he's just the name again, he's the name that's like the biggest kind of, I guess the biggest fish out there that might be available. And I don't know what the jets are going to do. I don't know what kind of package it would take. He might not even be available, you know, but, and, and, and beyond that, I'm not even sure if the Knights would, you know, would want would want him. I, I, you know, I'm not going to like talk trash about him, but I know there's certainly been some criticism of him in terms of his work ethic and whatever. So, you know, I, maybe they would have to look into it. I don't know. It's a lot of speculation, but there might be guys like that. And if you feel like that's an upgrade, if you feel like that's where you need to improve, then yeah, I, I think you have to look at it. You have to, you can't be married to this team. And I think as good as they are, and as deep as they are and, you know, close to complete, I think there's room to improve, you know, even somebody like Petrangelo, do they need him? Probably not. But would he improve them? Likely, you know, so, so we'll see. Well, I mean, it's going to be a weird offseason just across the league in terms of, you know, which guys become available and, and, you know, money internal kind of, um budgets and and all of that that teams are setting not just the 81.5 salary cap but what they're actually spending in in salary and all that you know there there might be you know other guys that become available who knows you know i mean Kyle Palmer in New Jersey was a name that you know seemed to kind of pop up maybe they you know the knights look at somebody like him who would be you know a high 20 goal scorer flirting with 30 maybe that adds depth maybe that's what you feel like you know, strength in numbers, I guess, as opposed to going out and getting, you know, some kind of big name. It'll be interesting to see. I think there's a lot of different ways that they can go. Um, it's just going to be a question of how do they want to allocate that money and how can they allocate allocate that money? And really, it's going to come down to the goalies and how they figure out that situation. Do they get flurries Seven million off the books. What would it cost to sign Leonard if, in fact, you know, he's the guy that, that becomes the heir apparent and takes over? How much does it cost for a backup? And then what are you able to do at that point and who's available? So, all kinds of questions. And, and, you know, depending on when the season starts, like we talked about at the outset, it might be, you know, a condensed time to get this all done. Usually the draft is a really busy time. For trades and all those sorts of things, and that's coming up, you know, pretty quick—three weeks. So this could all happen pretty quick, and and we could get a resolution on, you know, a lot of it, or you know, other things could drag on for a while. It's going to be, you know, probably an off season unlike anything we've seen.
1: Yeah, after a postseason unlike anything we've ever seen for the Golden Knights, uh, as Dave mentioned, as a reminder for everyone, the key dates that we know so far that are actually nailed down are that the draft is October 6th and 7th and Free Agency opens October 9th. Of course, stay tuned to ReviewJournal.com for all your written coverage of those events and the rest of the Golden Knights off season. Whatever happens, we will be there to write about it. Uh, also, a reminder to rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcast. Please do to this one. We're going to try to get back on a regular schedule for you guys now that the postseason is over and we no longer have to do our game podcast but we're excited to keep this thing going we hope you guys are as well and once again thank you for all of your support we sincerely sincerely appreciate it uh, this podcast is presented by Pepsi Indeed and a Favor Shot drinkafavor.com I'm Ben Goats he's Dave Shane we are the Golden Edge Podcast and we'll talk to you guys again real soon They say a healthy gut means a healthy you. Favor apple cider vinegar shots bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two ounce shot. Better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com.